0: Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. How each of us learns is a pretty fascinating thing, isn't it? How we retain information, or more frequently, how we don't retain it. The different mediums that are available to us and the variety of different content that we have to choose from. Hey, chances are if you clicked on this podcast today, you came because you wanted to learn something. Our guest today is an expert in learning. And it was one of those conversations where as soon as I was done recording, all I wanted to do was share the things that I had learned with my colleagues so we could start to use them for ourselves. Our guest today is Marcela Pineros, Global Head of Sales Enablement at Stripe. Yes, that's Stripe. Most recently valued in March 2021 at $95 billion dollars, The online payments provider is the most valuable private fintech company in the world. Marcella and her team enables a sales organization that is most certainly still in hypergrowth. And in her year plus since joining Stripe, Marcella has set out to transform the way that the company enables its reps. In our conversation, we talk about how to avoid the hamster wheel of enablement content. We talk about the way that she has reinvented Stripe's new hire program to democratize tribal knowledge and why she thinks the word onboarding is a lie. Let's start, though, with that transformation that her team has undergone and how she set that in motion when she first arrived at Stripe.
1: So um, I started at Stripe a little bit over a year ago. It seems like it's been an entire lifetime just based off of everything that we've been able to accomplish in a very, very short amount of time. When I joined, I had two key priorities. My first priority was, to start with data first. So build a data architecture model that lets us become more data-driven from the onset. And then the other key theme was to enable first-line managers first because it's often um, that audience that gets punted because we have very urgent things that always come up. And so we, we punt on manager enablement. And I've learned from personal experience that there is a glass ceiling that you hit from a a scalability perspective, if you're not enabling your leaders to enable their teams, there's only so much that you can do from a growth perspective. So those are my top two. Um, But in joining the organization, there was just so much opportunity and so many great things to do, including rolling out a new sales methodology and implementing a new tech stack. And so kind of a hit the ground running motion.
0: In this hit the ground running motion, Marcella and her team were also faced with the tall task of enabling a sales team that was growing over 100% in size year over year. So let's dig into what that actually means. What are the different motions that Marcella believes to be quote unquote enablement? Turns out it's not just about launching new stuff. It's much more about what comes after what you launch.
1: There's a, emotion that it's very very easy to get trapped in because it's probably most natural both for the organization and for enablement teams and it's to just react to requests with content and Mm. to lean on moment in time enablement like live sessions live delivery it's what folks associate with enablement right um but the biggest challenge with that is that I, and I wrote an article about this a while back, it's a hamster wheel. You can never get off of it. Once you get on it, it's very, very difficult to transition off of it. Um, and the reality is that you can never have the very latest information if the enablement mm-hmm. team is responsible to be subject matter experts. So trying to be the content creators just sets you up for, you know, this endless road, you know, treadmill of, of demand. And then the, Moment in time training, that live delivery, there is a misconception, I think, that we have just as humans in saying, well, you know, if I tell you the information, that must mean that you understood it and you processed it. Mm -hmm. And now that you're aware, you're going to do something about it. And it's really our assumption that that's the case. But in reality, it's not. (laughs) We might tell you something that doesn't necessarily change anything in your behavior. So my team is significantly focused on what we call shifting the finish line. And it's looking beyond that moment in time to what happens afterwards, what happens after someone is aware of something, what is it that you need to do to ensure that that then transfers to their day to day and the last mile actually results in the changes that you want to see, either in behavior or in knowledge and awareness. Um, So it's a it's definitely a shift.
0: And and I would imagine it's not only a shift just for your team, but for the teams that you're enabling, right? I think a lot of what you were saying about what people think of when they think of enablement, that's not just among enablement folks, like that's among the reps and the, those frontline managers. And so totally. can you talk a little bit about yeah. how you helped not only make that shift within your team, but I would imagine like the work that your team produces and the deliverables and all that kind of starts to move that line a little bit. Is that right?
1: Yeah. It, and it is, it's an ongoing change management initiative because mm. every day there are new people joining the organization that have that same definition of enablement. So it's an ongoing process. Um, but you need, you do need to look at it as change management, right? So what I tell my team is imagine that you are going through a drive through for a fast food restaurant. And what they give you is a keto bowl with like quinoa and super healthy foods. And what you ordered was a burger. You're going to be really disappointed and borderline frustrated and angry because what you're getting is not at all what you were expecting. Right. So you start slowly. You start by showing on the menu some healthier items and you start by marking, you know, just to to raise awareness on calorie count or whatever the case is so that folks start to realize, Oh, wait, there are options that I may have. And that's how you kind of slowly start moving the needle. So I can go through the drive through and. Maybe I wanted a burger when I started. But as I started to interact with what was available, I chose something that was potentially healthier for me. So we can't be the drive-through operators that decide for the person coming through what they need and what is better for them without aligning their expectations first. Mm
0: -hmm. So that's
1: kind of like a, a step one is making sure that everybody's aligned on expectations. But when people have like, as we've rolled out some of these programs, people are seeing the difference and they're seeing the results and they're seeing that there's less training scrap, that there's less materials that are needing to be built that then are never used. And that becomes a very compelling reason for them to say, well, maybe we can you know, order the salad instead.
0: This concept of shifting the finish line is really interesting. And I think it's a great North Star for any enablement team to take away from this episode. Marcella has been pushing both her team and her internal customers to think beyond the moment in time need and to focus on what comes next. Otherwise that hamster wheel of content that she describes can be overwhelming and and never ending. Marcella also said that the change management of shifting the finish line starts to get a little easier when people start to see results, makes sense. So of course, I wanted to know, what are those results?
1: Probably the best place to go to, to look for that change in mentality is with hiring managers that have people that are going through our reinventing new hire program, mm. right? When they see what they experienced, and they see what people experienced prior to them, and then how long it took and the amount of, you know, just handholding that was required after the fact, versus the folks that are coming in now, they're noticing a difference, right? And that difference is primarily that rather than just try to fill people's head with information at the onset. We just put them into an experiential mode so that they are witnessing the work being done at the onset. And just that shift in mindset has led to a, a, a tangible difference in the way that people are approaching their work and how quickly they can get there. So uh, that's that's you, one thing. You... The other thing I would highlight is um, also back to change management and mentality, I'm working with my team to make sure that our enablement materials aren't only available in the enablement platforms. They have to be available mm. wherever the rep is or wherever the sales team works. Because I, you know, when you when you want to change the oil in your car, you don't go to like Coursera or Udemy to look for like how to change the oil. You just go to Google and you type in oil change my car, whatever it is that you type in mm. and the learning materials will appear in the context of a lot of other things and then you are able to opt in so i'm trying to get folks to understand that enablement is not something you do outside of your day to day enablement mm. is part of your day to day it's something that you do in your constant workflow
0: and so what does that look like does that mean that if i'm in in one particular tool instead of having to go to like an LMS i've got kind of real time Enablement helping me within whatever process or tool I'm working on?
1: There's so many different ways that this is done, right? There are like tools that will offer guidance for software training in the context of the UI. There's from Mm -hmm. just from a content management and governance perspective, how you structure your materials, the level of granularity that you structure your materials. So I see our learning management system and our, our sales readiness platform as a place where you can go to get like a curated. Uh, recommended chef's menu, right? Like this is how, if we were going to do it, we would do it this way and in this order, right? But each of those individual pieces are available through our content management system, which is where you're going to go to look for case study for X industry, right? And you may also get the case study, but you might also get, you know, a recorded webinar of a win story Mm -hmm. in that industry, right? So it really helps folks who don't know what they don't know come across resources that can help, you know, Uh, elevate their game.
0: Two things that I think are important lessons from Marcella here. First, her idea that instead of defaulting to a teaching mode that is just trying to get as much information into new reps as possible, her team at Stripe is actually focusing on the experiential learning where reps can witness work being done. Sit tight. We're going to come back to how they witness that work in a minute. Second, she's been pushing her team to make information available wherever the rep might be in their workflow. If all of your enablement content only lives in a learning management system, guess what the consumer of that content thinks when they're going through it? They're being enabled. If you can find creative ways to embed those learnings in the already existing day in the life of your reps or wherever they might be consuming that content, it tends to be much more compelling and useful at the moment that they need it all right let's go back to that experiential learning if you listen carefully you might have caught marcella mentioned that they completely overhauled the new hire training at stripe after she arrived so i wanted to learn exactly what that overhaul entailed and what we might be able to take away for the new hire onboarding processes at our own companies
1: you know onboarding in most organizations, and I have deep respect for people that work in onboarding because it is, it's incredibly challenging with the highest expectations yeah. from the business. Um, but in most organizations, onboarding consists of a schedule, a calendar of live delivery or of like, here's some information that we will spoon feed to you, right? Mm-hmm. And after one week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever the duration of that onboarding program is, you just kind of spit people out into the wild. They say, okay, you're done. And then you send them out. And the truth is that in their real world, in their day-to-day, they're never going to be spoon-fed information the way that you did during those couple of weeks, right? So you are modeling a behavior that is not really going to be consistent with their success. That's one thing. And then the other part of it is that we know what the forgetting curve is. We know that if you are offering 100% of the the information to someone in a very condensed amount of time, you're lucky if they retain 20% of that after the first week, 8% of that after the second or third week. So really what you're looking at is 92% of the information is lost. Look at that just from a context of ROI, especially if you flew people in to the location, right? So granted, there is definitely a value in live people coming together, the networking, the intangible kind of feeling of belonging that happens there is incredibly precious. But if you're trying to also get people informed and capable to do the job, that may not be the best model, right? So what we do is something different. We launched, um, a a reinvented program that we don't call it onboarding precisely because I think that onboarding is a lie. Um, And uh, with our our program, what happens is that when you join in our go-to-market organization, you need to do 20 customer ride-alongs in your first 30 days. From the onset, you're going to be observing what is happening in the wild, what's happening live. We give you the resources so that when you have a question, you have a place to go to get answers, right? But Let's say that you've shadowed or, or you're, you're following one of these ride-alongs. At the end, you have to fill out a form, one, to get credit, and two, to be able to give us a little bit of line of sight. And you're going to answer, what was the most surprising thing I saw? What is the most confusing thing I saw? And where will I go to get more information? So hmm. the most surprising thing is actually just helping them reflect really quickly on everything that they just witnessed and they have to you know, compare. And in that reflection, it helps also retain the information. The most confusing thing is actually a data point for us because if we have a lot of new hires highlighting the fact that there's something that's very confusing common amongst all of them, that's an indicator Mm. to us that that's a good place for an intervention. And where they're going to go to get more information, sometimes they're going to respond to things that we didn't even know existed. Repositories (laughs) that have happened organically across the organization. right? So it becomes also a great data point for us to be able to source where is knowledge being shared. And if you have Uh, a new hire that just has no answer to that question, like, I don't even know where to start. That's a flag for whoever, like the ambassador of the cohort to be able to reach out and say, hey, I heard that you were having trouble with this specific topic. Let's Mm. talk it through. Right. So that's one big shift is that instead of having people sitting, observing and trying to consume content at a, you know, incredibly hectic pace, what we're doing is trying to get them into the field to be exposed to the reality as soon as possible with the premise of, Giving somebody the answers before they're asking the question doesn't give you, give you the same results.
0: Got it. You said something really interesting, ambassador to the cohort. What's that?
1: So we have folks that are in region that meet weekly with the new hires and okay. they have different you know, conversations. We're modeling like doing role plays and having you know, guest speakers and different types of things. But it's, it's, This is where folks are going to come together. One, to be held accountable for the work that they're doing. Two, to learn from each other because it's a mixed cohort. It's not only the people that started on this day. It's everyone that's in that program, in that region, in a span of mm. time. So you're going to have folks mm. that are on their 90-day mark, and you're going to have folks that it's their first day, right? And we want to establish those connections. I don't know about you, but I still remember very vividly the exact people that were in my new hire class yeah. in this company, and the company before that, and in the one before that, right? Yeah. But... There were people in the class before, in the class after, that I have no idea. I really don't know. And if you think about the missed connections that are there, right? Because you yeah. can actually learn from somebody that just went through this. They have all the empathy. They know exactly what you're going through. And you're able to engage with them. It's so valuable.
0: It's so funny how we think like that. You know, I know just because I remember the dates, like I know of people who started three weeks after me. But in my head, I've been here way longer than them, right? Ready. Like, and it's weeks, right? It's yeah. such a small, yeah. it's such a small thing. I, I love that idea of that that kind of like cross time frame cohort. Uh, is is that ambassador ultimately the person who's in charge of the success of the people coming out of that program? Right. I think something that I think is a bit of a uh, can be a bit of a hot potato of a question is like, Mm -hmm. who owns onboarding, right? Is it the enablement team that might structure that calendar you're talking about? Is it the manager who's going to inherit that person coming out of it? Like who for you, is there a single owner? Like, I'm not sure the right way to answer that question.
1: Yeah. I'd I'd use kind of that parallel metaphor of in education, who's responsible for educating a kid? Is it the school Mm. or is it the parents? Mm. Right? Like you can't do it alone. The school could be amazing, fantastic, but that's not going to give a full picture. So I think we own we own the program. We own the experience from an enablement team perspective. We own tracking. We own reporting. But the manager is incredibly critical in this in helping to assess progress, helping identify blind spots, and really kind of shepherding the person through their unique path. Um, we do have milestones built into our program, right? And each of those milestones require manager involvement. The manager is the one that has to check off and say, yes, this person, this is an acceptable account plan, or yes, this is a good negotiation strategy or right. Like, so we've identified Mm -hmm. key moments that we need for everybody to do. And to that end, you might have a really tenured experienced salesperson join the organization. If they can knock out those milestones in week one, fantastic. More power to them, right? There really is no, I'm I'm trying to break away from the sense that it's up to me or to you or to anybody to decide this information is actually most relevant to you on day four. Maybe you're precocious and you really needed to know it on day two, or maybe you are running at a different pace and you're not ready for that until week two. I need to treat the adult learner as an autonomous being that can make that decision for themselves.
0: That last seven minutes or so is just one of those clips you can listen to over and over and over again. Or you can send it off to someone who you might be partnering with on New Hire Onboarding. Marcella's telling us, look, onboarding is a lie. It's ongoing. And all of us, each of us is on the hook for the success of the people that are emerging from onboarding. That's enablement, that's ops, that's the managers, and yes, that's the new hires themselves. I'll tell you what I'm definitely stealing from Marcella and implementing at Drift as soon as I can the three questions she asks reps to answer after shadowing a customer call. What was the most surprising thing? What was the most confusing? And where will you go to get more information? As Marcella points out, the learnings gleaned from these three questions alone will be so valuable not just to the new hire, but also for the manager and the teammates of that new hire who might not remember where some of those most helpful resources live. For Marcella and her team, it all comes back to how do you disseminate information most effectively?
1: We're trying to democratize tribal knowledge mm. and figure out a way to make that just much more scalable. Like, For example, the ride-along model, it's ultimately shadowing. That's not groundbreaking. It's not the first organization to use shadowing. Here's where it becomes different is that let's say that you are hired and as a new hire, you're assigned a buddy or someone that's going to be accompanying mm. you. Shadowing typically happens because that buddy lobbies on your behalf to try to get you added to calls. So the experience and the quality of your shadowing Mm. is going to be very dependent on the political capital of the person that you were assigned. (laughs) Right? Who do they know? Can Can they get you into the right calls? Whereas what we're doing is making it very programmatic. So it's much more open, much more available. And the new hire takes the responsibility of adding themselves to calls. They're, they're the ones that own whether or not they're doing it, right? It's not up to somebody else to help open the door for them. This, how do we remove blocks to access?
0: I love that mentality. Democratize tribal knowledge, remove blocks to access, and give people ownership over their own learning. It seems like Marcella's version of enablement is less about standing in front of people to talk at them and more about stepping aside altogether. She mentioned earlier in our conversation that she didn't want her team to be content creators. I could see some people viewing this as a bit of a controversial take from an enablement leader. So who are the subject matter experts? Where does the content come from? Turns out for Marcella and the team at Stripe, They'd much rather be content curators than creators.
1: You've got to think of it from a couple of different perspectives. There's the actual populating with valid content, and then there's the governance of that content. Um, One of the pieces that, you know, in past lives I struggled with greatly was that there was an expectation that the enablement team would be an expert on all things. Like we need a battle card on X, or we need, you know, soft skills training on Y, or we need tool training on this. And the expectation was that the team already had the knowledge and the expertise and could just spin something up very quickly. The reality, as we all know, is that someone from the team would need to be deployed to learn the thing, then create the materials and then get it out. And the lag, the latency between the request and actually putting out the enablement was just so great. But beyond that, you have like this backlog of requests that you just can't catch up. can't get there in time. Impossible, so yeah. the reality is that in the organization, there are people that are much more knowledgeable than we are about specific topics. We're the experts in learning. They're the experts in competitive Intel. They're the experts in competitive tooling, whatever the, the resources are. So our job, instead of creating all the content is to be really savvy about who's who in the organization who can we go to, to do a 30 minute interview, to get a recording that we then chop up into a master class that people can consume? That is very quick to, to be able to, to go to market. So that's one approach. And then the other part is how do we use tech and tooling to help us govern and create a publishing pipeline so that people see like, for example, you have someone that um, just came off of a conversation. Where they presented a specific sort of um, value proposition that was really successful in this vertical, and they want to share it with the rest of the world. They're like, you know, this might help other people. Normally, they'll tell their manager, maybe they'll share it with their friends and their peers, and that's as far as it goes. And this yeah. is like something that could be game changing for a person that's on the other side of the world. So, if people have that ability to publish these aha moments and to publish their learnings, and when they are publishing it, they have to assign an expiration date to the information that they're posting, such that when that expiration date is coming along, the system emails them to let them know, hey, you know, is this still valid? And if they don't respond, the information comes down. If they do respond, then they are vetting that yes, and this is a new expiration date, this is something that I'm, that I'm, you know, going to stand behind. So that helps kind of immediately weed out content that may or may not be accurate or relevant. And, and then that's there's the original the poster that it's going back to? Go ahead.
0: That's the original poster that it's going back to to ask if it's still valid,
1: yes, yeah, it's the author Got it. it's the author Got it. now so, we are we're we are still on that journey of how do we create a publishing pipeline that is as efficient as what I have in my mind, um, but you know mm. that that's where we're headed
0: <laughs> that's awesome i I think the the really important point that you called out in like your process that I, that I think is. I think the extra mile step that it sounds like you and your team go is that moment of you do that interview with the subject matter expert, and then you all use your expertise in how people learn to actually put piece that information together in a way that's going to be digestible and retainable for the audience. I think so what I've seen sometimes in the past is you do lean on those subject matter experts, and then it's like, okay, subject matter expert, go record a video, put together a deck, on this topic and then you present it and i think you miss that that expertise that a team like yours might have on how that content can be delivered in the best way is that an mm-hmm. explicit extra step that you've added in to 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 solve for that
1: yes definitely so and we're not going to be able to do it for all the things right when you think about an organization sure. of our size and that keeps growing there's going to be more again demand than there is a the possibility or the bandwidth to support with Consultation and instructional design resources for those cases. The team is actually working on something that they're calling project IKEA because it's like, here are all the pieces we're going to give to you so that you can build, Mm -hmm. you know, the table yourself. And the intention is to be able to create that building block set for the SMEs to be able to use so that they can then create content that already has certain guardrails from an instructional design perspective. Right. And that's going to again help them scale, but the, you you know, one of the key challenges that I think probably a lot of the people that are listening face is just prioritization. When there's so much demand and so many things Mm -hmm. you could do, like, what do you do? What do you choose? What, uh, request you actually go out and talk to the SME and record them and then come back and edit and create a masterclass. Like, when do you do that versus giving them, you know, templates and saying, here you go. And there is a need for any enablement executive or any enablement team to be so closely aligned with the key objectives from the business all the way up. You know, we roll up under revenue, the specific business leaders, what are the changes in the results they wanna see? What are the top three things? And do those three things really, really well, right? And be able to offer resources for everybody else.
0: The other thing I would imagine that comes up in that conversation is, let's say you do a great job of picking those top three things. Let's say you you do a great job of your prioritization. The content itself and the point of view itself, you know, when you have so many potential opinions, subject matter experts, potential authors in that publishing funnel that you're describing, like, how do you think about making sure that whatever it is you are enabling people on is actually the company's point of view, right? Mm -hmm. Is the point of view that you want people to be learning as opposed to, that one person's point of view that might be based on a, of a totally different experience than what everybody else on the team might be facing with their customers
1: right so it's, it's actually the content that is crowdsourced the content that's produced across the organization becomes this really rich repository that we can pull from and to your point if we pull hmm. something let's say um, you know regional uh, differences are probably the easiest to think through right like perhaps something in Australia would not resonate in Canada, although those are probably two audiences where it would resonate. Something in Japan would not work in Brazil, right? So um, when you are putting together as an enablement function, a curated path, you do need to have folks, subject matter experts that are going to sanity check it both from an accuracy and from a relevance perspective. And it's that relevance piece that you're talking to, right, where it might be relevant for this team in this segment, but is it really relevant globally? So the type of environment that we're trying to create is... Right now, we're at a scale where my team is building the global enablement materials, and I have dedicated people on the ground that then take those materials and add the regional sort of lens or the regional flavor to try to account for those things. The other part is we use the Masterclass model frequently. And what is great about the Masterclass model is that in you know Stripe is a very complex um, organization that has multiple segments. So if you have someone that is in a specific segment selling to a specific vertical in a specific part of the world, they can submit a masterclass of this is how we do X here. And that becomes an asset that's available to all the people in that team versus something that comes out from my organization where it's like, this is how we do this generally, broadly, because you end up having to water it down so much that it becomes relevant to everybody. Let's just embrace the uniqueness of the specific niche audiences and give them the resources and the tools so that they can speak to that.
0: Before we go, at the end of each episode, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months?
1: The Culture Code. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I highly, highly recommend it. I'm actually, I just launched a culture club um, within the organization to help apply some of the principles from that book. So it's a very good book.
0: Amazing. I'll add it to the list. your favorite part about working in enablement?
1: The impact. That you can have really tangible impact, not just on people's lives, the satisfaction with their job, but on the business itself. Like you are, you, you, you can be that competitive differentiator for the organization when you do things in a certain way.
0: Flip side, least favorite part about working in enablement?
1: I think it's the, the challenges that come with prioritization. I think there's there's definitely always more to do, and it becomes really difficult to like narrow it down to the top three things. Um, and that's you know yeah. it, it's painful because you don't want to say no, right? You you don't. So it's 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 not a pleasant experience.
0: Yeah, I think ops is very much very much the same. Yeah, um, someone who impacted you getting the job you have today.
1: Someone who impacted me get my recruiter my recruiter was amazing i think you can never underplay how valuable the recruiting team is they are the first line of defense um yeah, yeah i would say that she she sold me on it before anybody else did
0: that's awesome that's amazing shout out to her yeah. uh, all right last one one piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday
1: learn how to do what i call altitude switching learn how to go from strategic view to really tactical in the weeds back to strategic view and learn how to do that really quickly. And that's gonna set you up for success. It's one of those things that is hard to do early on and then you have to sort of build the muscle so you can go from one meeting to another meeting where you're just in completely different altitudes and you just kind of have to.
0: Thank you so much to Marcella for joining us on this week's episode of Operations and thank you to Ariana Spina for making the introduction, really appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, make sure you're subscribed to our show so you get a new episode into your feed every other Friday. And if you learned something from Marcella today, like I did, leave us a review. Let us know. Leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, six-star reviews only. All right. That's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.